Tune in for an exclusive and permanent deal just for you. Get ready to immerse yourself in nature with an ongoing offer of 20% off all Strawberry Cough feminized cannabis seeds, exclusively designed for our valued podcast listeners. When you head over to homegrowncannabisco.com and use code COUGH20 at checkout, that's C-O-U-G-H-2-0. It's time to embrace the power of nature and embark on a growing experience like no other. Hey there, guys. How's it going? Hey, Kyle. How you doing? Hey, what's up, bro? I feel like it's been forever. Today, we have some good friends of mine as guests. We have Swami Shaitanya and Nikki Lestretto from Swami Select. What would you know? <laughs> Old friends. And, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of people on the planet that have a lot more growing experience than me. But um, I dare say um, that not all of them share as deep a respect and a love and uh, 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 a yearning for trying to make the world a better place like I do, as these guys. And um, well, welcome to Gua. Thank you so very much. So very much. And, you know, where you're the uh, king of indoor, you know, we're up here in the Emerald Triangle out on 190 acres. It's a little different scene, but we're still growing the same kind of weed. Yeah, I don't know if I'm the king of indoors, but uh, uh, I certainly am growing my own. You know, I'm walking the walk as I talk the talk. And, um, you know, uh, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the whole bridge for my show today with you guys is, you know, um, it's like the chicken and the egg. You couldn't have indoor growing with the, without outdoor right. growing. And, right. you know, I know you guys uh, well enough to know that you are strictly outdoor growers, just as I'm a strictly indoor grower. Um, but I also know that you have plenty of experience smoking indoor weed, judging indoor weed, your friends grow indoor weed. Um, so the experience level there's no gap in the experience level there. So, you know, and what I, so what I want to do today was I wanted to kind of bridge the gap of, you know, you know, the information that I use and that you use to make our gardens better and see, you know, you know, where the overlap is, where the nexus is, you know? And, uh, I heard, uh, uh, I heard and, and read in one of your emails, Nikki, that you guys are, uh, are not planting uh, a commercial Swami Select Garden mm -hmm. this year. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about why you decided to do that or not to do that. Well, it's called Fallowing, F-A-L-L-O-W, Fallowing Your Garden. And it's something that a lot of farmers do. And you fallow your garden for a few reasons. One reason that's kind of the standard reason is to let your soil go through a season without growing the same monocrop, right? So it gets a fresh taste. So we'll be growing vegetables out there instead this year and that the, the earth will enjoy that. The other reason is honestly, um, the market, the market for commercial cannabis just isn't there right now. And why work so hard if it's, you know, even for us, it's hard, you know, we get our crops sold every year, but, um, they don't make it easy on us, as you know, being commercial growers. Mm. So we kind of want to have a year off where we're just mm. growing our six personal plants or whatever we're allowed to grow up here in Mendocino County. And, you know, Swami will smoke all of that. Believe me. I mean, you know, that's that's gone. And um, so we're, we're really just kind of looking forward to that. Right, Swami? Well, that's not exactly it. <laughs> Nikki is sugarcoating it. I want to tell you. It's like, first of all, following... <laughs> Following is a very Two ancient, sides. ancient principle, right? And people have done it for many, many years. Nikki's exactly right. It's a way to give your soil a breather. But what you do is you grow alternative crops, which can somehow replenish what your crop has taken out. And so we've done that for many years. Uh, it's called cover crop. And during the winter in the off season, we always plant uh, a crop of uh, which is vetch. I don't know. And vetch is a, is a ground cover kind of thing. Sweet pea and uh, what is the other things? Sometimes clover, clover. and uh, fava beans and so on. And all of these plants then sprout up 
they're winter plants, right? They don't mind some cold. They like a lot of rain. And they keep the soil from going barren, from drying out. And they also prevent harmful bacteria and fungi from growing, which aren't your beneficial bacteria and fungi, which you want to encourage. So that, that's the reason for that. And Keeping the soil biologically active. It's biologically active, exactly right. And the other thing that happens is all of these plants are what is known as nitrogen-fixing plants. Now, what does that mean? That means that what happens around the roots of those plants in the so-called rhizosphere, they produce a certain kind of environment there which attracts beneficial bacteria and beneficial fungi. And those are the things which then change the uh, nitrogen that falls to the earth in the form of rotten leaves and all those sort of things and transform it into a form that the plant can absorb. And that's either nitrate or ammonium. Otherwise, nitrogen nitrite, the plant can't absorb it. The funny thing about a plant, it, we're surrounded by nitrogen. 70% of the air is nitrogen. The plant needs nitrogen desperately, but it can't take it out of the air. It has to take it out of the soil. So the nitrogen-fixing plants are taking nitrogen in the soil, turning it into stuff that can help the plant. And actually, as you, if you pull up the roots of these things, you see these little white spheres, tiny little spheres of the actual nitrogen around the roots of the plant. So in the springtime, you cut the, the green part up above and you lay that down like a mulch. And then the, the roots then uh, have all this nitrogen readily available for the plant. So that's the reason. Now, fallowing, because of the cannabis market and because it's been flooded by gigantic indoor grows, I won't name them, but you all know who they are. And they can put out, you know, a joint, you know, an eighth that costs $20 out the door. Right. We, our break even point is $20 wholesale to the dispensary. So they have to at least double that or two and a half times that. So for them, they have to sell our flour in an eighth jar that we sell at 20. They have to sell it at 50. Well, if you're going to look at a number and you say, wow, Swami's joint eighth is like 23% THC and this indoor one is 29% THC and the indoor one's 20 bucks and Swami's is 50 bucks, well, there's no choice there whatsoever. So we have no margin of profit. So we can't just keep growing for the love of growing, right? Well, we can, but we can grow our personal. Well, that's what and, we do on the yeah, personal level. And yeah. that's what all of you are going to be doing on the personal you know, level. I, I, I so relate to this. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, my biggest goal, my biggest dream was to get into the market, whether it was with Buds and Roses or whether it was trying to get a brand going. That, And, you know, I really now, I got to tell you, I've had a real turn of heart. It, it Really, that's not the right phrase for it. My heart's kind of sunk into my chest recently <laughs> yeah. when I realized the state of uh, commercial mm -hmm. cannabis. And, um, whew, boy, this is really hard for me to say in public. Um, I've carried around in my heart, in, my, in the deepest part of my being, for some 30 plus years now and saying out loud that I believe that all cannabis use is medicinal. I agree too. And I no longer believe that. I agree too. Yeah, but, but, but the, 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 the sad thing is, is that I no longer really? believe that. And so I have to qualify that. And of course, this is a subject. This is, you know, this is one man's opinion. This is in my humble opinion. And, um, and it's why my whole mantra and my whole, the majority of the work that I do these days is trying to get people to grow their own weed, okay? Grow your own stone. Because not only is it easy to say with 100% certainty that the products that people are buying in the dispensaries are inferior mm -hmm. and that the, the level on whatever scale you put them on of qualifying as medicine is much lower than just about anything else you could buy, just as McDonald's is on the lowest rung of mm -hmm. food, okay? We always knew that, okay? We always knew that, but to me, it gets a little bit worse. So now, 
We've been both living this life. We've been living this cannabis life our whole lives. And buying cannabis, buying, trading, receiving, whatever word you want to use from your pot dealer was a personal thing. It was a personal event. It involved friendship, trust, respect, admiration. um, You know, all of these things, you know, I became, I became godfather to some people that I sold weed to because they loved me so much. I, I had, I, I had somebody who loved my weed so much. They named their firstborn Kyle, you know? So these, these things actually happened. And now the majority of people that smoke weed in California overwhelmingly buy it from a dispensary. That's not true. I disagree with that. Two thirds of the market is still the underground market, right? The people, I agree with the people buying from the dispensaries are buying commercial weed, which doesn't have the heart and soul that the weed they buy from, from us and these other people who are growing in the sun, right? But the, 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 the regular so me, smokers are still with the dealers. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you interjected there. But, so, but I still haven't made the, the, the full point. What I'm getting at is, is that the major, I believe that the majority of people who are going... So now you've taken away the personal experience mm-hmm. and made it completely transactional. And on top of that, um, the people like yourself who ha- have to earn the right to have the weed on the shelf have to pay so many taxes, mm-hmm. okay? And then the dispensary has to charge so many taxes that the person buying this inferior medicine is giving up so much of their personal wealth that they had to work for that I think that it counter because and the medicine is of such low Mm. quality that the amount of stress that it's relieving in the time when they're using it to make them feel better is not equal to the amount of stress that they are giving up and handing over to the man at the the counter. Oh, I agree with that. And that makes me angry. I agree with that. I get that. I mean, there are a few of these small craft farmers out there that are on the shelf and they're going to have something that I still would consider medicine and they're going to get a better deal for their buck. But, you know. Let's say their names. Josh Wax, Source Cannabis. um, uh, Yours, of course, if you know of any, please say their names because they're very few and far between. Well, let's see, I would say... um, uh, Bohemian Chemist, I would say Arcana Flowers. Um, they're, basically, I'm thinking of the people that you know we know up here in Mendocino right, County. Right. Um, Redwood Roots, Ridgeline, right. people like that. Uh, uh, Happy what? Day Farms. Happy Day Farms. And do you know what I find? Do you know what you know what I find is the common thread of the people who've managed to turn craft cannabis into a profit. That common thread is. They treat, they don't run a business. It's a family. And they prize their growers and their caretakers and their trimmers and their tenders. It's not a room of 150 people that they don't know their names. They prize them. And every year they get a raise because they realize they've just learned so much more that they are so much more valuable that they don't want them going anywhere else. That doesn't exist in a McDonald's bed, bath and beyond paradigm of growing cannabis. Kyle, it's interesting. We met last year, um, a guy who's the main grower, can I say the name of the company? Go ahead, Why say not? It, yeah. Stitzy. He's the one of the main. He's the main grower for all the indoor grows for Stitzy. Stizzy. Stizzy. Is that how you say it? Stizzy. And um, I think he was so proud to tell us how in all of his grows, those plants only get touched three times when they basically put the clone into the soil. They check it once, and then when they harvest it, and we just looked at him like. Well, we're like the complete opposite here because we, we talk to our girls every day, you know, they're family, they're part of our family. I mean, if we could invite them into the dinner table, we would, you know, they're family. And it's just such a different headspace and the product is going to reflect yeah. that. So, you know, if you're growing at home, even indoor, yeah, you're going to talk to your girls every day. You're going to, and you know, it's just going to happen. So I, I, you at least say hello. Do that. Yeah. 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 
Well, let's go a little deeper into why. So let's go a little deeper into why the indoor is what it is, because you're talking about multi, you know, gigantic growth, thousands and thousands of things, grow rooms that are supposed to put out four and five different flower maturities every, every in one year, right? And so then they're also, what are the ingredients they're putting in? You know, in computers, they say garbage in and garbage out. It's the same with plants. They're feeding those things with chemical fertilizers, synthetic fertilizers, often derived from petroleum products. And they're just spraying these things on. And that's the complete opposite. You know, let me just stop. You. And, and, and there's a lot of people out there who are listening and saying, you know, I smoke synthetic weed. I like it. You know, that's, that is the main thing that brought about this whole thing for me is I was given a briefcase full of weed. Okay. A brief, like it was over a hundred samples. Hmm. I couldn't smoke any of it. I, I could, I thought for sure there'd be three or four standouts or five. I could not smoke any of it. And so sure. There's plenty of people out there saying Kyle's just a snob. I smoke it. I love it. I smoke it every day. It does what it's supposed to do. Great. If you ever had the chance to compare it to weed that had a soul, to medicine that had a soul, to medicine that was cared for, to medicine that was fed properly, to medicine that was, um, you know, yeah. So I'm going to bring this back in somehow because this is really important, but it really is pertinent into exactly what I wanted to talk about, which was, you know, I mean, we can get into all the demons and all the devils, right? And um, it, it, it basically is just the industry is supplying what the people want. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry to say that. I don't like saying it. But, you know, if they rejected it, if they didn't, if the people listening to me if 90% of them were going, yeah, yeah, Kyle, you're right. We got to get rid of this synthetic weed. Well, then that's what, but they're not. The majority of them are going, I smoke this stuff, Kyle. I, I don't know what you're so, you know, sure. Maybe you can smoke organic weed. Good for you. But if you had the chance mm -hmm. to actually live with proper medicine, okay, just like anybody who eats crappy food. If you had the chance to change it over and all of a sudden live, you didn't have to make it, you didn't have to cook it, you didn't have to find it, all of a sudden, you would not say, no, 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 don't give me that good food anymore. I want to go back to the garbage I'm eating, right? That just wouldn't happen. So let's spend the time giving advice on how to, let's just say, bring the outdoors indoors because that's what I've been doing all mm -hmm. my life. Give me a couple of, give us a couple of hints, tips, techniques, processes that you do outdoors that maybe not everybody does indoors. Of course, I'm not even saying switch the nutrients, just watering techniques or some amendment suggestions or some way to improve the terpene profile of what is a limited paradigm the indoor the indoor thing give us yeah. some some practical tips that's an interesting question because i'm not sure when you harvest indoor which i've never done i've trimmed indoor i've smoked indoor i've never harvested it um i imagine you do that at any time of day when you got your lights on in the room and it's just you're just doing it because it's ready so no no okay because so, can you no we um, i always i always I always mimic again. You would imagine that I'm trying to mimic okay. nature. And like you guys, I know that when it's time to harvest, now I may not follow the moon and the sun cycle quite so much, but it's always in the morning. You, okay. if my lights come on at 6 a.m., I'm harvesting at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. I'm harvesting before the lights come on because I don't want to, the whole waking up of pumping the fluids up again and getting the whole cycle started again. I do 
we believe in okay, that. Okay, that's good. So you can elaborate. That's on good. It. That makes a big difference to do it in the dark. I mean, we just you know do it in the dark with a little headlamp out on up here before dawn, before the first crack of light, actually even. And um, that does, Swami. What's the reason? Why does that work? You'll know better than me. Well, no, that's just what Kyle said. Is that when the sun comes out. It's causing all of those things to rise up to you. you know, and you're, when you see out in, the, in an outdoor garden, you'll see the top leaves reaching up like this. We call them they're praying to the sun, right? And everything's like pulling upwards, right? And so what happens also is as the heat comes at harvest time, all the aromatics in the cannabis plant and not just terpenes, we'll get into that seriously later, are now off gassing from the heat, right? So if you harvest while it's cool and dark, they're still main, they're still at their highest concentration within the plant itself. And then all day long, it gets less and, and that, less and less because they're off gassing. And then all night it builds back up again. And that's where the, uh, the approach of that some people, the approach of leaving your plants in darkness for a couple of days, that's where that comes yeah. from. People ask me all the time, should I leave them in the dark for a couple of days before I harvest them? Because we have the opportunity right. to do that in an indoor garden. And my response to that is only if you haven't been able to reduce the lighting. So if you, in the old days when we didn't have adjustable lighting and you had a thousand hanging above the plants, that's not so good because you're burning up your, your, the plant's trying to regenerate those trichomes, fill it up with the wonderful goodness all day, every day, and then you're burning it off and evaporating it with the sun. So I used to say, if you don't have the ability to back the lights way up, like you don't have any height, or to dial the lights way down for ripening, then yeah, it might be a good idea if they were at a thousand watts of, of light right up until harvest, Put them in the dark for 48 hours before you harvest them. What do you think about that? Interesting. Uh, well, I have to admit, like Nikki, I have never, ever grown indoor. And I only started smoking indoor in the last three years because Tim Blake and the Emerald Cup absolutely forced us to smoke indoor, <laughs> right? So, and I don't, <laughs> right? so now I will say. I, but what do you think about what do you think about that psychology? What? What do you think about that psychology? Does it make any sense as, you know, in the same vein yeah. of the way you see things? Well, I used to be very much against indoor, right? For the synthetic, for all of those things, the electrical use, the environmental damage and so on. I'm less and less and less against it, partly because people need their weed. And if you need to grow indoor for legal reasons, for secretive reasons, for climate reasons, because you're living on the backside of the moon or wherever it is, then indoor has its purpose and its place, yes. But I think and your point is we can still do indoor with really, really organic nutrients and inputs. We can really use good soil. Now, I know indoors does hydroponic. They do aquaponic. They do all these other kind of things. Well, that's fine because at some point we all may have to live on Mars and we better have that technology. If the climate has changed so bad here, we better have that technology down. But I'm still saying if you want, I want to ask you specifically just uh, it, so. But do you do you can you see in the mind's eye, the plant's mind's eye? Is there any replication of the processes that you're trying to achieve by going out there in the morning and harvesting early in the morning to someone who has grown indoors? putting the plants in the dark for two nights. Well, before that's your expertise. And I would have to say yes. Right. Sounds that's like it. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Now, if you've got totally, all, I mean, some of these new lighting systems, which I've been reading about in the magazines and so on, you know, what Sunrise, the sunset. Sun? you know, the sun now is sort of going down. It has a different angle. The sun has a different color in September, October. It's much shorter. The wavelengths are different, right? All these things are happening in natural light right but if you can duplicate that with your lighting system so much the better right but as you say if you can't then put them in the darkness uh, i'm sure that's a technique you've tried but i, I you know you can't ask me an opinion on that because i've never done it but i i personally think it well that's it's, good it sounds that's... like it would make sense to me it does um to me the question mm -hmm. i would bring up about um mimicking the outdoor indoor is the lack of insects and birds and the other things that interact with the plants when they're outdoor. 
And in some, you know, the plant will build up um, defenses against those things to welcome them or to repel them, right? Either way that they have to be. I know, I know you have some bugs indoor too, certainly, unfortunately you do, but probably not the variety. I don't have one. Only one. <laughs> not one. It's wintertime. Growing in the winter indoors is, I don't even have a gnat, really? not a fungus gnat. So I don't know if that's good or bad. It's a, not, I don't. Okay. Well, no, it's very good because I have a biologically active soil mm -hmm. and my plants get lots of love and talk and handling and preening. Um, and they think that they're living in the, the high altitudes of the Himalayas or something because they're at the, at a nice high CO2 level, which gets off gassed in the evening. And, you know, it really is uh, important, I think, mm -hmm. to mimic nature mm -hmm. in all the essences. And the new lights, let me tell you, the, 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 um, the ones that I use have a six setting, six programmings. It allows me to step up the lights three times in the morning and step the lights down three times at night. So for example, if I'm running them at 60%, I'll wake them up at 20%. And then a half an hour later, I'll bring them up to 40%. And a half an hour later, I'll bring wow. them up to 60%. And then I reverse it at, at night. So that, and it really makes a difference, especially, and then at the end, I can make it even more severe. So instead of, I don't bring it all the way up to 60%. I just start at 40 and then go down to 30 and then go down to 20. So you really do have all these tools to mimic. You're never going to plug into the earth into the magnetic vibration of the earth, of the rotation, of the movement of the mm -hmm. sun. I mean, you're looking at a guy who, who grew up saying, you have to either move the plants or move the lights. <laughs> I mean, my first eight, 10, it was either, I was either in there every couple of days rotating the plants or every day rotating the plants, or I built a whirly huh? gig so that my lights were moving. So, so I really, I, I, I think these things are important important for maximizing the full spiritual benefit mm -hmm. of the plant. Yeah. And my effort in doing so is what gets such appreciation from the people that I share it with. Right. You know, it, it, it is, I, Swami, I think you enjoyed my weed once or twice. Yeah, you did. Are you ready to take your cannabis cultivation game to the next level? Well, hold on to your buds because we have an amazing offer just for you. Are you familiar with Strawberry Cough? This legendary strain has delighted cannabis enthusiasts worldwide with its mouth-watering flavor and uplifting effects. Lineage? Sure, let's dive into it. Strawberry Cough is a delicious cross between strawberry fields and haze. Its distinct strawberry aroma and sweet taste make it a favorite among connoisseurs. Now, here's the exciting news. We're offering a fantastic deal on Strawberry Cough Feminized Cannabis Seeds. You'll receive 20% off your purchase on any pack size of these seeds when you use code COUGH20. That's C-O-U-G-H-2-0. That's COUGH20 at homegrowncannabiscode.com. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to grow your own strawberry cough. Whether you're a seasoned cultivator or a newbie looking to explore the world of marijuana horticulture, these feminized seeds will set you on the path to aromatic success. Visit homegrowncannabiscode.com today and select from their wide range of premium cannabis seeds and maybe take advantage of 20% off your strawberry cough seeds when using code COUGH20. Happy growing, folks. Get ready to savor the tantalizing flavors and uplifting effects of Strawberry Cough, a strain that deserves a spot in every cannabis enthusiast's garden. Check out homegrowncannabiscode.com now and seize this offer before it's gone. He did. And, and Kyle, I want to elaborate on, you just said the word spiritual, which of course is dear to our hearts. And, um, you know, that's an, we do all these special little things, like we put our seeds on, because we only grow from seeds, and we put the seeds on the lap of the goddess of cannabis, Ganjama, for a full moon cycle before we plant them. Um, when we put those seeds into water to crack them, we also put in a drop of water from the Ganges River, um, just for, for good credit, it helps. And we say mantras, we have the Ganjama mantra that we say. So all of those little things, no, and you don't have to do ours, you know, whatever thing you're into, do it, you know, just put some of that good energy vibe in there. Yeah. And I'm sure that's going to, be something you can do anywhere, no matter where you're growing it, and that's going to make a difference. 
Yeah, well, you can say any prayer you want and just say to the plants as you're sprouting them, you know, I want you to grow to be an inspiration, to be a healing power for all those who get you. So you put your intention onto the plant verbally and you put a spiritual to dimension on it. And that can happen anywhere, anytime, any place, on the moon, underground, in the house, wherever it is. It's your energy you're putting on. And then you carry that through the cycle also because the mantra for cannabis, Om Aim Hreem, Kleem, Shreem, Ganjamaye, Namah, I say it all year long. Every time I go out in the garden, I say the mantra, right? That puts an energy field around the plants, which is the vibration of, of healing and spiritual uplifting. And you as the grower, put that onto your plants. So we invoke the divine energy from everywhere around you. And you say, this is going to be in my plant. And then it's going to be in the person who uses that. And so the actual techniques of growing don't matter so much, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, you have to kind of stop me from getting on my high horse about growing in the sun, right? Uh, because I, I'm really a, an advocate of that. And, and all your home growers can grow in the sun if it's at all possible, right? And so I think that... Uh, well, but you do, you do understand, Swami. I know you do. I've sat and I've talked with you for a long time. You do understand that, like, for example, I'm living in this beautiful little house in uh, L.A., and I literally have no place outside that gets more than two hours wow. of direct sunlight. Of course, sunlight. of course. So, and I'm not criticizing right? that. I'm and, saying if you have um, to do it, you have to no, do no, it. I, I know you understand. So that's why we're here. And that's why I have the both of you here is to bring out um, what we feel is the importance of growing, um, you know, quality medicine, you know, in a artificial environment, right? It's an artificial environment that you can imbibe with as much natural essence as you possibly can. And that's a right, choice. Right. And I also try really hard not to get on my high horse and try to remind people that an effort to make something better doesn't have to be an all-encompassing thing. You don't have to suddenly start blessing every one of your seeds in order to make your weed substantial. Like you said, Nikki, you have to, you have to find your own groove and you have to find your own style. But we're here to present a plethora of options and opportunities and lifestyles and perspectives so that people can find a little little something to grab yeah. onto and make a little change and feel a little bit better because it's um, the, this, this, I gosh, I'm getting so emotional now. <laughs> this is so, um, you know, this is my strawberry cough oh, right wow. here, coincidentally or okay. not. Yeah. And I've been, I've been carrying this around for 30 plus years now. And you know, this plant's brought me a lot of controversy, right? Never told anybody I made it. And suddenly I'm, you know, I'm kicking people in wheelchairs to, to, to get it. It, it. It's hilarious. It's just such a double-edged sword. But I still smoke it because I found that this is the strain that, if, that I can smoke for any event and it enhances my personality. It enhances my focus. This is the plant that I brought when I met you on the Queen ah. Mary. Okay. You know? And so there's a lot more to it than just smoking it, obviously. You know? And uh, so how do you guys envision the future of cannabis? See, I have a question here, but I'm going to change it. I'm going to read the question and then I'm going to, it says, how do you envision the future of sustainable cannabis farming? And what role do you see home growers playing in advancing these practices? I'm going to change it. What I mean is, how do you envision the future of sustainable cannabis farming fitting into the commercial cannabis industry? Hmm. Can you, do you envision that? Hmm. Um, I would say, uh, you know, if people have to keep buying, if they feel they have to keep buying from these dispensaries and they don't know a dealer down the block, um, more and more people will be into homegrown, I would imagine, um, just for the price and all of that. And um, I could see that 
actually promoting homegrown growing in that sense. Um, and when people start realizing that they really can get, like you say, the quality of what works for them best, because you can go to, a, you know, five dispensaries in a day and not find the cultivar that's going to really work for you. But if you grow it. Let me ask you, I got a question. I, let, me, let me put it this way. Do you think, I mean, can you see, I mean, this is important. Do you see a time when the commercial cannabis, meaning the people who are buying it and asking for it and forking up hundreds of dollars for it, is going to change away in a way that um, it's going to make it practical again for people such as us to exist in the commercial space? Or do you think that the change is going to take place, like you said, that just simply more and more people are going to grow their own and the people who just don't have the palate and don't care as much are going to continue to buy Bed Bath & Beyond weed? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'd say I, I strongly believe that, you know, right now we've got the people that are really heavy stoners, you know, once a day stoner types. Um, they're primarily, and this has been proven, they're primarily still buying from their dealer guy. Um, the people that are either coming back into it after many years or soccer moms or people that are kind of just getting into it, they're going to go to the dispensaries because they have to figure out what it is they even want. Um, I believe, though, that over time, there will develop a class of connoisseurs who truly appreciate craft cannabis grown organically, regeneratively, all of those things. Um, I don't know how long this will take. As you know, we're involved in the Ganja program. That's hopefully cranking out teachers that will spread the word about good quality cannabis and what it really takes. And I, so I do see it. I see how, when I, I think it may have to wait till the feds make it federally legal actually, mm -hmm. because I, my feeling is that once it gets federally legal and you can put it in the mail and ship it, which is going to be able to cut down on expenses for everybody and give free samples, yeah, all of that stuff. Then, um, what what will happen then when it's federally legal? It's going to make certain people feel safe about getting into the business that don't feel safe about it now, meaning especially wealthy people. And these are the same wealthy guys that, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago bought farms up in Napa to grow wine and be able to tell their friends during their midlife crisis that I have a winery, you know, I have a vineyard. So it's going to come to a time where those same guys are going to want to say, I have a pot farm in the Emerald Triangle, you know, and they're only growing the best quality. And the connoisseurship will. That's a really good yeah, perspective. It will develop I, in our lifetime. I don't know. Yeah. I really I, don't. I'd know. like to add to that a little bit to say that, uh, if you look at the perspective of consumer goods, consumer packaged goods over the last 70 years. And when I was a kid, you know, when I was 10 years old, 10, 70 years ago, you could get one kind of chocolate and that was Hershey's chocolate. Today, you can get chocolate from Kenya, from Nigeria, from Guatemala. Which one do you want? Right. It's got 18 kinds of flavors. In my day, there was one kind of coffee. It was Maxwell House coffee in a can, Maxwell. right? <laughs> and it was already ground and you made it in a percolator. Now you can get single origin from Yemen, from uh, Guatemala, wherever it is, and you brew with a pour over and all of those things. In my day, you could only get Budweiser and, and so on. And nowadays you can get microbrewery beer. In my day, you only had Manischewitz. You remember Manischewitz wine in New York, right? Right. That was your wine. I remember, of course. Oh, Morgan David and Taylor State, right? That's a good perspective. But now you have Napa wine. So the same thing is going to happen to cannabis. You now have mass-produced bulk cannabis as a commodity. It's going to do what Nikki says, but that is going to take 10 years, and all of a sudden you're going to have a market for your Cuban cigar equivalent of cannabis, right? And at that point, I would say, would you, dr would you drink indoor wine? Would you smoke a cigar grown indoors? And I'd say, no, I want the finest, 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 finest. And it's only from the Emerald Triangle of California grown at 2,600 feet. And that's going to be the top of the top of the top of the line. He is a snob. That's my job. <laughs> that's my job. Look, we are all pot snobs. <laughs> I mean, that's right. It, it, it's just, you know, uh, look, if we're going to be a snob of some sort, let yeah, it be a right. pot snob. Right. Right. Um, 
So it's just down the road. You guys both, that's really, you know, it's not going to happen fast. That's a really good perspective. And I'm happy, I'm happy to look at it that way. I mean, it's, it's, I always say everything is evolution Mm -hmm. and that just sounds like an, an evolution, you know, and, and, uh, and I like that. And, you know, Kyle, Um, it's really like the whole evolution of indoor is so interesting because it really only started because we were getting busted like crazy up here in the hills. And people realize, you know, they can grow hydroponic vegetables, we can grow hydroponic weed. And then after a while, it's like, why are we doing this in this shack up in the Emerald Triangle using a generator when we could do this anywhere in the world? And that's really what brought that on. And then, of course, growing indoor, you can figure out how to get those higher THC levels, get that nice sparkly bling. It's interesting to us, you know, as judges in the cup, um, and seeing all of this indoor now every year. Last year, for example, in the Emerald Cup, first time ever, we had a lot more indoor samples than we did sun-grown to judge. That was a first. And, um, and so it's really interesting to us to really observe the differences of the shape of the buds, how the buds are trimmed is very different. You know, you got these kind of muscly looking things, you know, where within sun-grown, you've got a lot more of the you know, sturdy, stronger, full buds where this, you got the like really well-defined shaped buds that are so pretty. And it's just really fascinating. It's also interesting about the terpenes. And I think that's really smart. You're bringing that up because we have noticed that the terpenes don't last as long with your average indoor. You know, you open the jar of, of an indoor next to a sun-grown and walk away for five minutes. The sun-grown still has smell, the indoor doesn't. Now, I do believe you can change that. So I've always said that hydroponic weed has no soul, okay? None, zero. You can't even cure, don't even bother curing hydroponic weed because you're not even curing it, you're just aging it. That's how harsh I am on hydroponic weed. But I'll follow that up by saying, hydroponic fertilizers are not your grandfather's hydroponic fertilizers. And that there are much cleaner synthetic fertilizers nowadays that contain uh, very, very low levels of heavy metals, which is what it's all about. It's about not having all those heavy metals that accumulate. Um, but, uh, oh shit, I lost my, I just had a brain. <laughs> Have another um, puff. No, but what were you saying right before, right before, what were you saying, Nikki? Um, <laughs> no, now you're gonna go. I was saying about how the indoor, judging the indoor against the sun grown and the terpene level. Yeah. Oh, that's a difference between indoor. So, um, like I was saying, you know, you'll never get plugged into the earth. You're never going to get the full spectrum of light. Well, you, maybe you could probably duplicate that, you know, the motion, all this stuff. But so the, the reason why I'm so um, adamant about the way that I talk about how I grow and try to advise people to grow is, is because when you, you know that 10 little things, right, Swami, 10 little things can add up to a big thing, Right. Yeah. Right? Am I yeah, right or am I wrong? Yeah. Right? So yeah. when you do when you do dozens of little things to try to mimic nature, like dozens of them, you know, I'm not even trying to say you're getting close, but um, it's a big difference between that synthetic feed, which you can, really can't cure, to a plant that was grown in a living biology, right. was fairly happy, right. okay? There was some happy energy there, you know? It was watered when it needed. It was watered in a routine that was close, like nature and not like, a, you know, all of these little things and the, the essences that you can give them with a little bit of dolomitic, volcanic, you know, uh, all these wonderful enzymatic, you know, biological. Uh, I don't even have the, uh, the scientific terms in my head, but... Um, yeah, we're really lucky nowadays that um, you can grow indoor weed that has a wonderful, lively soul that you can cure for months that, um, you know, dries up sticky and comes out of the jar sticky. And, uh, but that's, again, that's why we're here. We're urging people to try to do a little better. Hey, Kyle, I have an idea. Not saying... I have an idea. Will you kindly enter the Emerald Cup this year? I have an idea. And um, we would like to judge your weed. <laughs> and, uh, we like to judge your weed. 
because I think you'll win. Because oh I want to prove that by doing all those things that you say, it actually stands up. Because I think it will. It does. Well, um, you can go in the personal department. I, I, I'll consider that. There's a personal category. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I don't know if the time. I don't know if the timing is going to work out. What is the what is the submission? Oh, rate? it has to be, and I think by February twelfth or something. Yeah, I'm actually chopping uh, March 1st. Okay. What about the previous chop? So, okay. What about the previous chop? The previous chop was just for seeds. Oh. And I took it down a little bit early. I, I don't have anything cured or wonderful. Oh. But, you know, I I, uh, I, I, I I would love to do that. And I, I just, the, just honestly, for you saying that to me just makes me feel good. Because... Um, you know, I've had plenty of years where we, I, I did all that and it was, it was really great getting noticed for um, having exceptional weed. It felt really good. I'm not, I mean, that's, it's what I strived for long before I ever met a competition. Like I said, I've had people who have made me their godfather of their children and named their first child after me just because I was a good guy and I, you know, we had this relationship. So yeah, that was fun and I'd love, I'd love to do that again. Um, but I, uh, I'd like to mention the Emerald Cup and what a wonderful gathering that has for people and wish everybody good luck down in the city of Oakland, yeah. I right. heard. Yeah. And, you know, this is our 20th year judging and our final year. We've decided to pass the baton after this. That 20 years is enough. It's time to bring in some wow. young blood. Um, so, you know, we're the ones that announced the Flower Awards. So it'll be a little emotional. But this is our last year to do that. And so I hope you're there. Yeah, we'll do that. Oh, nice. What's the dates on that? May 4th and 5th. What are the dates on that? I'd like, I'd like to say yeah. something more May about the Emerald Cup. 5th. I want to say a little more about the Emerald Cup because we were actually, we started testing the, the, the winners, I don't know, about 10 years ago or something like that. Since we started testing the cannabis in the Emerald Cup, the winner has never had the highest THC. I'll repeat that. The winner has never had the highest THC. And in fact, someone did the research last year and he said only one of the top 20 was had 22% THC. And so uh, what we're judging in the Emerald Cup, in fact, we ne we, it's a blind testing. We never get the results. Blind when testing. we judge the Emerald Cup... It's such a great yeah. competition. Well, when we yeah. judge the Emerald Cup, no one ever talks about indica or sativa. It never comes up. It's not even important, right? And, you know, no one ever really talks about THC because we don't know it, right? The only thing we are judging is the physical appearance of the plant, how it's been developed, how it's been trimmed. And then, and I use the word dry rather than cure, how it's been dried and aged, right? And then we, then we categorize the aromas, right? And here I could really get on my high horse because what we're finding is that the terpenes that everybody talks about is only 40 to 50% of the nose. We're now finding, scientists are finding all these other aromatic compounds, volatile organic compounds, which are in cannabis. Cannabis produces their alcohols, ketones, esters, and there are phenols and thiols and volatile sulfur compounds and alcohols and the horse is getting very high right, right now. Yeah. 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 Well, I just finished my joint. You know, all that makes me, you know what that, all that makes me, go well, ahead. Okay. The point is <laughs> that cannabis, that terpenes are 40% of the nose. They're like the base note. What makes it smell either, you know, we talk about, uh, what are they called? The GMOs, the uh, garlic, mushroom, uh, onion flavors. That's not terpenes, my friend. Those are actually volatile sulfur compounds that cause that. Some of the things that smell like kerosene and airplane fuel, those are hydrocarbons, not terpenes. The things that are bananas and strawberries and apples and pineapples, those are esters, You're going not bananas. terpenes. I don't know what all that stuff no, means. No, but it means your nose. The, point is, the point is it's your nose what? that knows that. And your nose knows the difference between you know uh, apples and sulfur uh, onions. But it's not terpenes making that difference. It's something else. You don't need to know the name of it. What, you just what, need you to know the nose of it. He gets very excited. You know, you made, you made, you made me think uh, early in that, uh, 
that description there. A harangue. Of an old friend, DJ Short. An old friend, DJ Short oh, yeah. of mine. Uh, oh, yeah. DJ Short, famous for breeding the blueberry, among other things. Uh, he's famous, being quoted, says he only breeds for one trait. Effect. Ah. <clears throat> and as I get older, as I get older, um, and I constantly question myself, like we all question ourselves, I don't mean in a bad way. What is with this guy, Kyle? He's still smoking the same fucking strains he's been smoking for 25 years. What's wrong with him? You know, like you said, the nose knows. I used to say the nose knows, but it, for me, it isn't really the nose. It's the brain. It's the whole, uh, the whole endo, it's a whole homeostasis kind of thing, you know? And I, I found these strains, one in the daytime and one in the nighttime that works for me. And uh, I love smoking other pot, and, and I don't have to just smoke this pot, but I'm really finding as I get older, and as I just started doing a little breeding again for the first time in over a decade, um, you know, I, I, I think the most important thing is effect. Well, I want to say something about that, which is yeah. to say that we have such a thing as aromatherapy. So I like to feel that TAC is the motor, the engine, but the smell, the aromas are the steering wheel. Right. So where, you know, you're going to get high, but where does your high go? Relaxing, stimulating, exercise, whatever it is. That's the aromatherapy quality of all those other aromatics beyond the terpenes. But, but Kyle, you are right. When we judge for the cup, effects gets twice as many score points as any other thing. So, you know, that, say if everything's on a 10 point scale, effects will get 20 points. So that it does. It is. I agree. It, that is the What I mean by that is, that is look, I, I'm always talking from a grower's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I'm always assuming that the people who are listening are the same. I, I, I speak in the, I think and I speak in the first person, you know? And when I think about smoking weed, the most important thing to me is how it's going to make mm -hmm. me feel. And it's just, and you know, life isn't always as simple as one thing one statement or one, but I'm just saying when I break it down, that's the most important thing to me. And so, uh, um, flavor is good. Uh, you know, smokeability. This the second most important thing I call smokeability. Uh -huh. Okay. And smokeability to me encompasses a lot of those other things that you are now more qualified to judge than I, you've been given all the, the tools and the parameters, you know, um, smokeability is made up by the dry and the cure and the inputs. It's kind of made up of everything, you know, that when you burn that flower, because that is how you and I smoke, we combust it. When you burn and inhale that flower, um, my esophagus, my whole esophagus is an organ, is a sensory organ, right? And that's where I make my judgment about the grower, because that's what you're smoking, right? You're smoking the grower. Mm -hmm. So it's effect, smokeability, and then all those other things. Mm -hmm. How much yield do I get? Is it a tight bud? Is it colorful? I don't know. Nothing else really matters to but, me. I'm, I'm pretty simple. You know, guy. I'm sure that um, I can imagine very well that your style of growing indoor using organic methods and good soil and all of that stuff. I'm sure produces something that is has good smokeability. These people that are growing in big, huge greenhouses, just cranking it out, it makes you cough. It does not feel good. It doesn't feel good on the lungs. And that's one of the first things people say when they smoke some of our weed is like, whoa, that was so smooth. You know, I mean, it's just like, I feel high right away, but I didn't cough. And we can remove all of the, we can remove all of the hippy dippy stuff from it and just boil it down to yeah. science. And when you have a factory and you have people counting their dollars, they're not letting it grow enough days. They're not letting it dry enough days. They're not letting it cure enough days. They're not handling it properly when they trim it. They're doing all these things to maximize the volume and the output and all of these things that are detrimental to mm -hmm. the plant that you would never right. do. And again, they build up. Just like you were saying, you have 10 good things. You put 10 bad things, it's the same effect. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, man, you know, we could go on forever, you guys. Um, I, just for that invite, I am making it a point that um, I am not going to have any weed worth showing in public until I pull this stuff down that I'm, that I'm growing right now, that I've grown 100% with Organics nice. Alive. You know, I closed my nutrient company about a year oh, and a half okay. ago. And I'm growing with Organics Alive. And it has zero salt, zero heavy metals. It's, I can't even begin to describe to you the technology. It actually is a brand new technology. You had to write white papers, have, them, have the white papers signed off on just so that they could create a, uh, a category to categorize this for uh, licensing it for mm. sale. Anyways, I'm going to come, me and Matt, we're going to come visit you in the springtime. And I'm going to bring you some wonderful, blessed, loved weed. And I just want to thank you guys for coming on. And, um, you know, much love and success to you guys in the future. I can't wait to see what you guys pull off in a, see, it's grades of everything. And I can't wait to see what you guys pull off just for yourself. Yeah, exactly. That'll be interesting. Exactly. No, this will be fun. And I, I love the idea of you guys coming up here in March and, um, we'll just have our own little judging thing. How about that? We can like kind of compare and do all of that and, Let's have some fun doing that. And no, that, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. Love it. And I'll introduce you to the uh, Ganjie program, Systematic Assessment Protocol, which is a phone app for itemizing all these ways that we do do our judging and uh, so on. And of course, our final category is always about the experience. But once again, I'd like to say that I think the experience is, is primarily guided and directed by the aromas, right? And so I feel that the aromas are so important in the experience, right? And uh, it's much less about the, the, the THC, right? And so, uh, you know. Yeah, these people that think that they're smoking 39% THC weed, uh, Good yeah. luck. Good luck with right, that. Right, right. Think of what you're missing out on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Kyle, it's always great to see you. All right. So now it's time for Kyle's Tiles. I don't know if I explained to you guys what Kyle's Tiles is, but it's uh, my wife made me a blanket with like 35 or 40 of my old T-shirts that remind me. It's basically my whole career on a blanket. And uh, we're going to hold the thing up. And uh, you remember that old video game show where it goes boop, 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 boop. And you're just going to let it roll for a second and give it a few seconds. And when you feel like saying stop, just say gua together. Okay. Just kind of like, I don't know, squeeze each other's hand or something. Okay. Cue the music. Wah! We're supposed to do it together. I was with them. I was with them. <laughs> That's okay. You get one shot. They got uh, Oaksterdam, founded in 2007. Wow. 2007. Yeah, yeah. Oaksterdam, great school. Yeah, you know we what? used to. That's the same year we started selling our first legal gray area cannabis to Harborside, and they were very involved with Oaksterdam. So we actually. We're hanging out with them and then in the very beginning when they got started. Yeah. Oaksterdam's done some great work, you know. Um, I know that um, in 2007, uh, I am two years in California now. And uh, I got here in 05 or 04. And uh, the reason I have that shirt is because somewhere around in 2010 is when I went down to Oakland. I walked into the Bulldog Coffee Shop. And I introduced myself to Richard Lee and we started a friendship and I asked if I could donate time and st I started teaching a class. I started doing Horticulture 101 and Horticulture 101 led to Veganics 101. They let me write my own class and I started teaching Veganics, which was really cool to people from all over the country that were flying in every month. And, uh, and it just so happens that actually homegrown uh, Oaksterdam, uh, homegrown cannabis co is actually the official seed supplier for Oaksterdam oh, University. Oh, so that's oh, going fabulous. on right now. And uh, don't forget about American Pot Story. The and don't forget about American Pot Story and Richard Lee, um, an amazing documentary 
uh, that, you know, chronicles uh, mostly Richard Lee and Dale. Yeah, you know, just it chronicles uh, Richard and Dale and how they founded the school and uh, the trials and tribulations of just putting everything on the line. And then it led to Richard putting all of his money on the line to try to pass Prop 215, Mm -hmm. was it? Was it 215? Uh, yes, we worked on Oh, no, that might have been the Proposition 19, yeah. which happened in 2010 and didn't pass. Yeah, that was what it was. It was Prop 19. Right. And, uh, and the feds came in and raided them. Mm-hmm. And basically, he had to shut the school down. And he had to divest himself from the school in order to not end up in jail. And um, yeah, I recommend American Pot Story if you can catch that. But yeah, uh, yeah those, those were some, those were some, man, when I just walked up in the corner in Oakland the first time and stood on the corner and saw Oaksterdam University in 15 foot tall letters painted on the side of a building and knew that I was about to walk in and get to teach there, talk to people from, I didn't even know where, you know, to, it, it was, man. Oh, that was that was fun. Those were some fun times. Yeah, they're brave people. So thanks for thanks for participating in Kyle's Tiles. <laughs> Once again, I really sincerely want to thank you guys for coming on my show, Grow Weed at Home with Kyle Cushman. Gua. Gua. We love you, Kyle. <laughs>